0: Hello, I'm NumFanel Malloy. With the season 2 finale approaching, I would like to invite you the opportunity to submit questions, comments, and suggestions for the season 2 after show which will air on September 19th during the week of the podcast's one-year anniversary. If interested, you can send an email to rediscoveredmovies at gmail.com or a voice message on anchor.fm rdmoviespod no later than September 15th. You can ask me anything from behind the scenes moments to the guests featured on the podcast, or you could share your favorite moments from the podcast or film suggestions for future episodes. Just remember you have until September 15th to submit your questions by email or voice message on Anchor. You just had your ass handed to you by a goddamn retiree. Red is up next on Rediscovered Movies. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Rediscovered Movies. I'm your host, Sam Elm Beloy. So the film that I'll be discussing is Red R E D or Retired Extremely Dangerous. So it's a 2010 action comedy film that's loosely based on the DC Comics Limited series of the same name, created by Warren Ellis and Collie Hamner. The film is directed by Robert Schwenke, who is known for directing films such as Flight Plan and Snake Eyes. And the film stars Bruce Willis, John Malkovich, and Helen Mirren. So here's a plot. Frank, played by Bruce Willis, is a retired, bored, and lonely living off his government pension in a nondescript suburb in an equally nondescript house. The only joy in Frank's life is his calls to a government pension processing center when he gets to talk to his caseworker, Sarah, played by Mary Louise Parker. Sarah is as bored and lonely as Frank and marks her conversations with the unknown Frank and her spy novels as the only things fun in her life. When something in Frank's past forces him back into his old line of work and puts an unwitting Sarah in the middle of the intrigue, Frank and Sarah begin a journey into his past and the people with whom he used to work with. Like Frank, they are red, retired, extremely dangerous. So the film was released in theaters back in October 15th, 2010. It opened at number two with, two, with 21.7 million. It was beat by Jackass 3D. And it made over 199 million during its actual release, so about 93.3 million was domestic, while 108.6 million from international. In terms of reception on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 72 percent critic score. Here's what they have to say with a consensus. It may not be the killer thrill ride you expect from an action movie with a cast of this caliber, but RED is still thoroughly outshines most of its big-budget counterparts with its wit and style." And the audience uh, gave it the same score of 72%. So the film is available to stream on Netflix and is on VOD, so check your local provider. So let's go on to first discoveries but before i go on to that i just want to say that like when i didn't know about uh bruce willis's retirement when i chose uh this film to cover for the podcast this was like months ago like earlier in the year but i feel like yeah now like with uh with this news of him Uh, not being an actor anymore. I feel like this film will be, like, you know, it's a fun way to explore, like, you know, his, like, accomplishments with this movie because I'd say that, for me, it's one, I would say, of my favorite Bruce Willis performances. I would say as of late. Because, yeah, obviously, like, he's... um, He's great, like, in films such as Die Hard, Pulp Fiction. But... I would say like in terms of his later stuff I would say this film for me like is the best one. So how I first learned about this movie um I think I first saw the trailers for this probably at the time in theaters and I remember like they did a panel at the San Diego Comic-Con talking about the movie so for me like yeah with the concept like I was immediately excited for it so I recall seeing it opening weekend and yeah, like I thoroughly enjoyed it at the time because it was a nice fun, like action comedy film, like, and it was nice to see like older actors get to play those roles. Cause usually they would either be like put off like to the side, um, most likely in like, authoritative roles either as like the the boss or the handler so forth but but yeah it was just fun to see that hey like older people can do action stuff as well and i was surprised that there was a lot of humor in the movie given that with the comic book as far as i could tell on wikipedia it's more serious but probably too like with the, the humor they kind of wanted to make it a bit light in tone and I guess also to just have fun with the material so there's that and yeah for me like this film still holds up and this is way better than the sequel that came out a couple years later because yeah when I saw that one in theaters I was disappointed but I would say yeah just I would watch the first one ignore this sequel. All right, let's go on to highlights. So, comedy. I liked how they how they how it was used in the film. It didn't overshadow like the action. Cuz for instance with the opening sequence, like it's kind of an unusual opening sequence for this uh type of film because you pretty much see Bruce Willis's character, you know, being bored like at home, pretty much with nothing to do except to call uh, Sarah about the missing uh, pension checks, which is not missing, <laughs> um, and also like to trying to grow out his avocado, which has uh, three leaves, which is hilarious, and also to like it's during Christmas time, I guess, and. <laughs> he his house is the only one that doesn't have Christmas decorations, which is hilarious so it would so pretty much he decides to put as much Christmas decorations outside as much as possible, but like the inside of his house still feels cold if that makes sense and yeah, like right when like we see like him at home like it cuts to this uh, mysterious uh, team of assassins trying to eliminate Frank and then we get a glimpse of his skills uh, as a CIA agent or as a hitman and yeah like i thought like with that setup was an interesting choice like it kind of like you know brings something different to the genre where like you don't have to always start off with uh action piece to hook the audience immediately like you could show like uh the the characters you know in their daily life doing about where in this case we see like yeah frank is retired like pretty much he has nothing else <laughs> to do so it was just nice to see with the opening scene the um, more of the character work as opposed to like the action. The relationship between Frank and Sarah like I found like it was intriguing so essentially like uh, they've been having phone conversations essentially he claims to have like his uh, checks were missing through the mail, and she would always like send them. But then we see like over the phone they have like chemistry where they kind of talk about her, I guess her love for these cheesy like Harlequin type books like with love, uh, savage secret, which just sounds like a cheesy title, and and then once like she like tells him about it, he immediately starts to read those books <laughs> like he's very like invested him. In, I guess to continue the conversations with Sarah to pretty much have an excuse to move forward and so it seems as though that Frank he uh, really likes uh, Sarah even though they have like their conversations like on the phone so I thought, yeah, the romance part was was interesting. I'm not sure if I was completely convinced by it, but it's just, I guess, nice to see a more like human side to Frank that's outside of, you know, the killings and the missions and so forth. And let's go on with the premise. So I like how like it focuses on... Retired agents are trying to adjust to their, you know, new situations and (laughs) clearly, though, like they're not happy with the idea of retirement. Well, I'd probably say except Marvin, but (laughs) yeah, clearly like um, it seems as though they were probably let go from the CIA because, you know, age or maybe like they decided to leave the agency altogether that part is unclear but it could be either or but once like uh the plot um of frank being a target it kind of gives them an excuse to uh force themselves out of retirement (laughs) the action scenes i thought yeah they were fun to watch i would say like for me my favorite was um the standoff between marvin and the the red-haired uh assassin because it was hilarious though that when they um arrived to meet singer Marvin marvin automatically assumes that she's um an assassin <laughs> which uh which of course frightens uh the lady because again we assume that she's a normal person, and then with uh, Frank, pretty much tells Marvin to back off because there was no cameras or anything in their bag. And then later, once um, with William Cooper and his team arrives to eliminate them, <laughs> it was no surprise that the redhead lady, she's uh, an assassin. And it was just fun to see, like, you know, she's having, like, the grenade launcher while he has the, um, revolver. I would say, like, um, him being able to, um, disarm that, uh, that grenade launcher, it might be a bit far-fetched, <laughs> but it was certainly fun to watch. And also, to another action scene I liked was the shootout sequence between with Victoria and Marvin and the Secret Service agents uh, in the basement of the place so yeah like that was quite fun to watch because we see like Victoria she's uh, in her element (laughs) she's clearly like having fun to use all those uh, weapons to go after the, the vice president, and we see uh, I guess like Ivan like comes out calmly to um, to uh, put off the to put on the bomb that was hidden um, um, near the this the uh, backup vehicle for the Secret Service. <laughs> so yeah, like that's quite uh, enjoyable. The technical aspects, yeah, of the film, I enjoyed. Because with, like, the... We see, like, the titles, like, of the different locations that the characters are in. Like, it feels, like, very pulpy. Like, it kind of brings a comic book feel to it. Well, yeah, obviously because this is based off a comic book. but, But, yeah, like, those are quite entertaining. And I love to there was a moment when Sarah and Frank, they're in a car. This was after, you know, they escaped from the police. It looked like there was a tracking shot of them in the car before uh, Cooper arrives. <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. And also too, with that same scene, you see sort of like a, a shot of Frank uh, getting out of the police car as the as the car is moving behind him. I would say, like, that moment, it might be a bit far-fetched as, as to the car narrowly missing him, but it was certainly enjoyable to watch. It looks like uh, it wasn't put in some sort of angle. I kind of call it the, the spiral shot, even though the camera's not moving in the spiral, but, but yeah, that was awesome. Uh, I like how, yes, with... um. With Dunning, Alexander Dunning, played by Richard Dreyfuss. So, he I guess is the villain of the movie, but seems to be more like of a snarky, feeling like uh, essentially a jerk, (laughs) (laughs) because um, clearly he does some some shady stuff because he has that pre-recorded audio of his uh, speech to to pretty much throw off the, uh, agents that are listening in, <laughs> it kind of reminded me of, um, Mr. Big slash Dr. Kananga from live and let die, where he has like, um, a recorded, pre-recorded tape of, of him, uh, talking so that, you know, whoever's listening doesn't hear the full conversation. So yeah, that was, uh, cool. And I like, yeah, too, with Ivan, played by Brian Cox, like, he rescues everyone. (laughs) Like, I don't know, in a way, it kind of, like, gave me similarities to um, his character Mr. Waldman from The Long Kiss Goodnight, which was the previous episode of the podcast, because he pretty much, yeah, comes to the rescue in that film as well, so... I don't know if that was, like, intentional, but that was certainly that I caught in this movie and I would say the performances from the cast are solid like I enjoyed like I said Bruce Willis uh, in this role like it's not um, I would say like uh, his his performance wasn't over the the top but like I I really like enjoyed because he kind of uses his um, his isms like you know with the quiet voice at times but not it's not afraid to uh go up there and obviously like when it comes to his uh moments either confronting the bad guys or him hanging out with uh, the group or with sarah like yeah those are fun to watch with him and, but for me, like, uh, I liked uh, John Malkovich as Marvin. I would say that's a uh, perfect uh, casting because <laughs> essentially his character is very par- paranoid of uh, the government listening or watching or trying to take him out. <laughs> and I also liked yeah, to Helen Mary's Victoria. It was certainly a departure from the typical roles that she did prior to this movie. And also, too, I like Karl Urban in this movie as uh, Cooper because looking at it now is certainly different from what he's known as uh, for his work in The Boys or like with the Star Trek films to an extent, because here he's kind of playing like the straight man, like trying to, you know, do his job to, you know, go after Frank and co. So, yeah, that was cool. So let's go on to the lowlights section. So I think for me, like the main issue I had was with that whole Guatemala subplot. So what we know is that the CIA pretty much wants Frank killed for unknown reasons, but then he mentioned to the vice president that he was present in Guatemala which kind of makes me wonder why didn't he say this uh, earlier if he knew that this was this all had to do with Guatemala because for me it did not make sense. And then also to there was a New York reporter named Stephanie which we never see. Apparently she was killed by the same team that went after Frank at the in the opening, and she left a list of names I guess of people like a hit list that were apparently present in Guatemala which included Frank but also Marvin which I wondered like why is his name on the list because I don't recall him saying that he was present in Guatemala and also too Frank and Sarah they head to this CIA headquarters to retrieve a Guatemala file I guess to learn more about that situation but then he decides to go (laughs) after Cooper after the records keeper played by Ernest Bornein tells him oh that he pulled uh Frank Swile (laughs) but and then like yeah that fight sequence with in the office it was certainly a fun action sequence but it was a very unnecessary action sequence (laughs) but I guess like it needs to show like those two confronting each other face to face and then so after all this stuff we learn apparently Alexander Dunning he is uh the bad guy that works with uh Cynthia from the CIA agent agency so I'm just wondering though like if he wants to like get rid of Frank and everyone that's uh, on that list why do it now like why not do it Back then, because it would make sense to do it back then after when that situation happened. Because I would say for me, that whole subplot was very convoluted. Because for me, like, it would make sense that, um, yeah, so have the CIA, like, you know, go after Frank, but then, like, just, um, I would say, like, I don't know, make it more grounded, like, How can i say this so maybe not make it a big deal about i don't know the list or probably just get rid of guatemala altogether like it's fine if they want to go after frank i guess you know to get rid of witnesses but yeah just how like they execute it in this movie just did not make sense and also too i wondered though like when the, the team was shooting at Frank's house in the middle of the night, how come like we didn't hear like sirens or any of like the neighbors complaining because they are very loud and obvious with the actions and really though someone is going to hear something and or say or do something about it. So yeah, that didn't make sense. And also, too. Like with Cooper, like after when he fights uh, Frank in his office, his arm gets broken. But then we see in the following scenes, he doesn't have the cast anymore. So <laughs> it's amazing how fast people can heal in this movie. <laughs> but with a broken arm, that takes a while to to uh, heal. So. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And also, too, when when they are surrounding uh, Alexander Dunning's house, I guess, to move in on Frank. So Joe, played by Morgan Freeman, he decides to go in his place. But then we see yeah, him getting shot. So I wondered who fired the shot. Was it a rogue agent that refused to listen to orders, or was it one of uh, Dunning's people that decided to do that? Again, that was unclear. And also too, if they wanted to kill the guy, why didn't they confirm that was actually Frank before firing the shot? Again, that doesn't make sense. I think. That was just an excuse to get rid of Joe's character since he has stage four liver cancer, which again, with that, (laughs) it didn't make sense on why he's able to move freely when he um, is severely ill with cancer. Yeah, so I would say just more like with the, the screenplay, like with those issues I pointed out just did not work for me. Let's go on to trivia. So, this is apparently the first theatrical movie based off a of DC property that was not made by Warner Brothers. Because we have like the Batman, the first Batman movie was from Fox, which was a spinoff from a TV series. And then you have Superman uh, from 1948, which was from Columbia Pictures, was a serial. So, I saw, like, according to Wikipedia, that Summit Entertainment, which, uh, distributed this movie, they optioned Red because Warner Brothers, they didn't want, they didn't want it. I don't know why. So, yeah. And, because <laughs> I think, yeah, like, I'm not sure, like, if, um, if they were to reboot this either as a film as a series, like, uh, in terms of rights, if either because I think Summit is under Lionsgate, because I'm not sure if Lionsgate would hold the rights now or if it will be reverted to Warner Brothers since they, I guess, own DC comics, but but yeah, like, I think, yeah, this. Uh, material like it certainly has the potential I guess to be revived again so yeah like I want to see that happen so whoever owns the rights now just let's make that happen so apparently as the script um, was in the works it it was apparently obvious that um, for those involved in production that Bruce Willis uh, was really the only person to play Frank. And I would say, yeah, like, like he did a good job with his performance, yeah, for, for sure. So, I, I agree with that. And also, too, on, for casting note, John C. Reilly was apparently cast as Marvin, but he dropped out and then John Malkovich replaced him. So, I thought that was interesting, but like I said, I... Th- felt like with John Malkovich was perfect casting as Marvin so probably though like if John C. Reilly was still uh, in the role it probably will be a a slightly different performance but but hey it is what it is and apparently Meryl Streep she was considered for the role of Victoria because that would certainly be an interesting choice because out of the stuff that I've scene you know of Meryl's like I rarely see her do like action stuff maybe there might be the few one or two that she did I'm not sure but yeah that would certainly be an interesting choice Mm -hmm. so back to John Malkovich so he read the first 40 pages of the script and he liked it but he asked his agent on why he was up for the role of Frank His agent said that he'd been reading the wrong lines and he was up for the role of Marvin instead. So that's uh, interesting. Uh, Also, too, Love Savage Secret, which is the the title of that, like I said, the cheesy Harlequin romance novel that Sarah reads, um, is, say, could be a composite of two romantic fiction novels written by Joan Wilder, in romancing the stone, which I do recommend you guys check out that film. So I guess of the fiction novels would be love's wicked, Ki- love's wicked kiss and the savage secret. So that's interesting if that were the case. And I just want to say too, like it was certainly a missed opportunity, like because the film they could have like released like love's savage secret like as uh, part of merchandise for the film, because. <laughs> Yeah, like, that would be an interesting, like, to see, like, because that'll show, obviously, the romance between Frank and uh, Sarah. And also, too, you get, uh, like, women to come on board to watch this movie. So, yeah, because I feel like, you know, with, with that, like, you could bring both men and women, you know, in the theaters to see that movie. But... I would say, yeah, that was missed opportunity for merchandise. So during filming in Toronto, the police received several phone calls about gunfire from local residents who mistook the gunshots for the real thing, so to use effects. (laughs) So that was uh, interesting. (laughs) And a final note, the purse Victoria used as a weapon was Helen Mirren's own purse. It was given to her as a gift from Giorgio Armani, and since it went, uh, it complimented the dress she was wearing, and since it was part of the script, she asked if she could use it, and the producer said yes. So, it works out. All right. Now, should this movie be rediscovered? I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes, because it's fun to see all the actors in action. I I love the comic book feel that it has with the technical aspects. The performances from the cast are solid and I feel like it's great to see this film in parts, probably in clips on YouTube. But as a whole for me, I would say it did not work mainly because the whole plot with Guatemala was very Convoluted, because if it just focuses on, you know, Frank being a target and him trying to figure out, you know, who's trying to go after him, instead of him, like already knowing what's what's going on, I think yet yeah, it could have worked better for the film. All right, that pretty much concludes this episode of the podcast. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Numphie Malloy. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at rdmoviespod, and you can use the hashtag rdmoviespod. You can answer the featured question on Spotify. Like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform that's available. And you could submit questions, comments, and suggestions by email, which is rediscoveredmovies at gmail.com. Or you could leave a short voice message on anchor.fm slash rdmoviespod. And if you'd like to be considered for the season two after show, please submit those no later than September 15th. If you are listening to this after that date, no worries. You could still submit questions and suggestions by email or voice message on Anchor. So I want to say thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Until next time.